Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Unlocking the Cage follows animal rights lawyer Stephen Weiss in his unprecedented challenge to break down the legal wall that separates animals from humans. After 30 years of struggling with ineffective animal welfare laws, Steve and his legal team, the Non-Human Rights Project, are making history by filing the first lawsuits to seek to transform an animal from a, from a thing to, with no rights to a person with legal protections. We're honored to have with us today Chris Hedges and D.A. Pennebaker. Chris and D.A., welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Happy uh, to be going, finally. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're done with this, you're going to get your honorary <laughs> film film school degree. So how's that? Um, oh, uh, uh, all right. Well, uh, I want to ask, uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Um, how did the this... Uh, this project come to you and and DA? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, like so many of our projects, uh, somebody walked in the door and asked us if we'd be interested in making a film and about a certain subject. And in this case, it was a a friend, Rosadel Varela, who became a producer on the film, um, knew Stephen Wise and asked us if we'd be interested in following um, this journey that he was just about to undertake, um, which was after 30 years of trying to protect animals, he was going to go into a court and argue that an animal uh, has the capacity to be a legal person and not just a thing. And it sounded like a very novel, somewhat bizarre idea, but it um, sounded fascinating. And most importantly for us, um, Steve was just about to begin. And that's really where you want to be when you start making these films. Mm -hmm. And D.A. was uh, was uh, gaining the confidence of Stephen, uh, any sort of a, a challenge, or were there any sort of restrictions he he wanted from you and Chris, or was he just open to what you were what you were wanted to do? No, no, he was open to any. I mean, he he wants to, he needs and wants to get uh, the, the, the the idea that he has in mind to as many people as possible, because in a sense. He's a kind of uh, ambassador of a future that we haven't come to yet, but it's fast coming on, which is uh, a relationship with animals. And I think it's going to begin because we're going to stop eating them. It's that kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. that's not his interest. His interest is in uh, maintaining protection for them. Yeah, yeah and let, let's establish this now because this is this sort of threshold that in the film Unlocking the Cage that uh, is talked about by Steve and his, as we put it, his legal team, uh, and and animals, and why he seeks this in sort of in sort of scientific terms. Um, and uh, jump in. I'm going to just run through some of the the things that are uh, established scientific fact when it comes to animals, certain animals, and certainly in this particular case, we're talking about chimps and elephants and dolphins and things that have cognitive cognitively complex, right? That that's yes. it, that seems to be the threshold, Chris. Is that right? They sort of they have yes. a culture and go ahead. Explain a little bit about what that means. Yeah, I mean, for his first cases, um, he wanted to argue 
uh, for animals that had been the most scientifically studied, that had been proven to have high cognitive capabilities, have cultures, some, you know, some of them have theory of mind. Um, they, you know, mourn their, mourn the deaths of others in their species. I mean, they're, they're, they use tools. Um, you know, a lot of them are like us. Mm-hmm. And um, he decided for his first lawsuits that his plaintiffs would be chimpanzees because they are the most highly studied of uh, all of these cognitive species. Um, and so he set out to find chimpanzees in the state that he thought had the type of common law that was most arguable for the type of habeas corpus case that he was going to mount um, to argue that um, this chimpanzee was imprisoned and should be released. Yeah, we're talking about the state of New York was where he... The state of New York, where he's yes. arguing. And, and before, just a couple of other things I want to establish in the minds of our listeners. These, uh, these animals are self-determining. They have a theory of mind. They know who they are, and they know who others are. They understand that they are individuals who existed yesterday and they will exist tomorrow. Those are sort of, the, in the film, the defining characteristics. And, and, and Stephen argues very effectively in their, on their behalf. Um, yes, he, he argues that they're autonomous beings and that autonomy is a sufficient quality um, for them to have uh, for legal personhood. And what really interested me in making this film was, you know, not just showing that these animals are abused. Um, you know, they are, but just to really show people, you know, just how intelligent they are and why they should have these rights. And so we went around with Steve and visited some with some of the primatologists who did some of the very first studies with these animals in terms of language. And, um, you know, we were with um, Tattoo and Lulis, who were a couple of the first chimpanzees that were taught American Sign Language. And as a matter of fact, Lulis uh, was taught sign language just from chimpanzees, not from from humans. So they're really extraordinary creatures. And to be around them and see them be able to communicate with you on this level that that you know no one is used to doing with their pet um, is really life changing. Uh, D.A., when, um, when, when you were, um, this was filmed over the course of how many years did you work on this project? Oh, three, maybe almost four. Yeah. Um, when you told people about this, this particular idea and project, um, I think in the last few years we've seen a, a, a significant shift in the way people perceive animals. I would say in the last... 20 years for certain, but maybe even the yeah. last five or six more. But when you were telling people about your project, uh, did was there a consistent sort of reaction to it uh, in terms of, you know, why are you doing this, or was it a go-for-it kind of kind of reaction? What, what, what were you hearing think, from people that you I were... I think it was more of a curiosity. Mm-hmm. Why would we do this? It seems so un, un, improbable that you could go into a court and change the law. Uh, but the fact is that chimpanzees live to be 65 and 70 years old, and people were, were, were taking them on kind of as pets, but they had to be kept in cages their whole lives, which is to say you're imprisoning them uh, for no reason, 
and 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 that's in a sense uh, what what one of the problems that Steve brings up, uh, you know, of of how they're mistreated in a way they're not allowed to live their lives freely the way people do, but you know, not in, in, in any kind of a of a, a villainous way. It's just that. People, when they're little, they're just adorable. You know, you can teach them anything. They're very smart. The, 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 the whole, uh, the, the whole process of space uh, work was mm-hmm. depended on on them as the, the early uh, uh, right. kind of uh, rocket riders. <laughs> yes, that's right. As, as I forget, you know, you sort of forget, but yeah, chimps were the first. Uh, yeah. Living things from planet Earth that were were in space and. Um, it's heartbreaking to see some of the the footage in in your film Unlocking the Cage, uh, the treatment of of what we now know scientifically speaking are animals or are beings that that have this like we were talking about this wide range of cognitive ability. It's tough to watch. It really is. Yeah, I know. When I started um, doing the film, I would tell friends, especially lawyers, um, and they would just think it was crazy that would ro- roll their eyes <laughs> at the idea of it and um you know I, I felt a little bit of what steve felt you know during his 30 years where you know he said he would walk into a court and people would bark at him and you know go through that type of humiliation but i think just in the process of doing this film there has really been a huge cultural shift about animals and people are really starting to question how we treat them. And I think it's due to a lot of different things. I mean, I think the Internet has really pushed the conversation, even with, you know, what we think of as silly cat videos. But I think, you know, all of the things that people are posting just show how extraordinary they are and, you know, how attached we are to them and how important it is for us to deal with them in our world because they're part of it and they kind of they hold their place in the world just the same as we do. And, and in a way, the, the Internet has become a kind of uh, the zoo of animals for us yeah. because we can see what we used to have to go down to a place where they were kept in, in cages. Yeah, and and it is it is going to be a process. I mean, science is showing us the way. Science is determining in in the um, in the Socratic way. I don't know if that's in the scientific method. I should say that yeah. they are you know they are who they are, and we have to find a space for them in on the in a way that we can live side by yeah. side. Yeah. And that's really what we we're coming to, to share, isn't it? Share share the planet with them. Share the planet and be respectful of the planet because and they, because they have certainly a greater stake in our making sure that the planet survives uh, than even well even than we do because we I think we're more determinate and whether this the planet is going to survive in a sustainable way than they do and but they they have but they are they are rec- they you know this film and others have shown that they have the ability to understand what's going on. And we have to determine in our behavior how we respect them and allow for a place for them in our lives. It's a really Definitely. fascinating, it's a fascinating subject. And it's and again, Stephen is the sort of heart and soul. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Chris Hedges and D.A. Pennebaker, 
uh, filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, going back uh, a long way, some of the most uh, you know renowned films in in documentary um, uh, history uh, are you two are responsible for an amazing resume, um, accomplished career. So I'm our career, our, our partnership is is over forty years. Is it forty years now? Yeah. Well, I, it's funny, um, of The War Room, which a lot of people will know of, and you collaborated on that, um, I was actually involved in a presidential campaign uh, with for another candidate who was running against uh, the Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton in, in New Hampshire. I spent four, four months in New Hampshire trying to... Uh, well, it's it's a, a little-known candidate at the time. Um, he was... Uh, his name is Larry Agron. He was running um, because George McGovern, who had put up... who he was helping with his... Uh, his startup and his exploratory campaign had to drop out because of an illness to, I think it was his wife was ill. So uh, Larry decided to get into the race and we were in New Hampshire during, um, during that whole, from, you know, from going back to, I think yeah. October all the way through to the primary. And it was oh such, and it was such a, you know, a, uh, such a interesting place to be for someone who was kind of in the margin between he's he's not uh, crazy he deserves a, a place on on the on the dais with with Jerry Brown and Doug Wilder and and all of the rest of them including Bill Clinton but wasn't of significant uh, stature uh, nationally to be taken very seriously so I, I would we occupied this odd space of a credible candidate uh, and we were in some of the debates, and in fact, Larry um, did really well when he was in the debates with all of the rest of the other candidates. But we didn't have the infrastructure really to put together a campaign that was going to be um, it's a very a, expensive progress. Well, well, actually, you know, the funny thing is, back in 1992, you could run in New Hampshire for less than it cost to run a, a congressional campaign today. You could you could mount a significant political credible political campaign in, in, in 1992 for yeah. in New Hampshire for probably less than a, a million and a half to two million dollars at that yeah. time. It's not a very big state and it's not very rich I and mean, it's not very expensive. No, it wasn't. Time. It wasn't. And we really, so we had enough money to mount a reasonably, um, and a lot of the people in the press and would say, well, we, we think, obviously, you have something to say here. We were talking about the peace dividend. That was a big thing. That was our, our issue because the mm -hmm. Soviet Union just collapsed. So we were involved, and we again, every once in a while, we would pop up on these uh, um, you know, bigger debates with all of the candidates, but we just didn't have enough uh, to really to make a go of it. But I, I, the way when I, when I was watching War Room, this go where I was going with all this, was you know, I met these people. I know some of them. You know, I mean, not that I knew them well, but I, I had a chance to, to talk to them, and it was just kind of a an odd feeling to be on one side of yeah. the screen with somebody you're watching who who, who you obviously it's had in some... In a film, I know. <laughs> it, it's really weird to watch somebody uh, on a big screen uh, that you know otherwise. It's a very... Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, it, it, it turns you around because they're not quite... They're never they're never pictured as what you know them as, so yeah. it's funny. <laughs> it is. Well, I want to go back to Unlocking the Cage very quickly. Uh, yeah. Stephen Weiss, as we talked about earlier, is the heart and soul of this film. There are other people involved, uh, Liddy Stein as well as Natalie Prozen, yeah. are part of this. And they continue their efforts. And I and I've just, if, if it's possible to give sort of a sort of an overview of where they are at in terms of the progress that they're making or lack thereof, can you give us a little bit of a, a sort of a, 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 an intelligence report on how they're doing right now? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, what was really interesting for me and a challenge as a filmmaker was really to tell this legal story because um, beyond the animal um, aspects of our adventure, finding these chimpanzees and in these desperate locations, um, the rest of the story is really a story of, of the law and how the judges deal with um, the idea of giving a chimpanzee a legal right. And we follow Steve into <clears throat> three different court situations with him. Um, um, one of them is an appeal court with five judges. Two yeah. of them are appeal courts with five judges. And the other one um, is a hearing with the attorney's Assistant Attorney General of the State of New York. So they were all very fascinating, and it was interesting to see the different ways that the judge judges were going to deal with this idea. And um, I have to say that what was most exciting for us is by the end of the film, um, he got very close with the judge who really questioned why a chimpanzee could not be a legal person. Yeah. And um, in all of these cases, um, Steve is is pursuing um, them and refiling them because that's what you can do in New York State courts. Um, there's been some developments with the different chimpanzees um, after the hearing with the state attorney general for two chimpanzees that were being used in in medical research at Stony Brook University. Um, they released them back to the holding facility in Louisiana. <clears throat> that they were rented from, and um, Steve is still um, advocating to try to get these two chimpanzees and to save the chimp sanctuary, which is an amazing sanctuary with islands yes, in beautiful. Florida. <clears throat> and then the very first and kind of most famous case, because it was the first case ever for um, judges to argue that a chimpanzee could be a legal person um, with this chimpanzee, Tommy, from upstate New York mm. that was held in private captivity. Um, Tommy was supposedly, unbeknownst to the court, sent to a zoo in upper Michigan state, and um, somehow Tommy does not seem to be there. And so there's a lot of investigation being done both by some reporters from the Daily Mail and from PETA, um, as well as um, requests for uh, FOIA federal information about these about Tommy because he is an endangered species at this point and finding out what has happened to him. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of developments, and mm -hmm. Steve is refiling one of the other cases um, in New York City. So uh, he's not giving up. Um, yeah. He's moving on to elephants as well, yeah. and uh, his team is working incredibly hard, and they're really amazing lawyers um, who have been supporting him. And, and uh, as is not usual with this kind of film, the film is done and the film goes on. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, as Chris, as you were describing it, uh, th this sort of nexus, this legal nexus of this sort of overriding idea of of extending rights to these animals. And then you have this private interest of these people who own these chimps and and how it it is at cross purposes for what they want with with to do with these animals. So you have this sort of you know, that seem to Form be of slavery. Yeah, a slavery yeah, there are really really some parallels, although 
the judge, one of the judges in the film says, please stop making that analogy because I think there is a level of discomfort with that sort of that, uh, the, the, I guess, the sort of the, well, they, the, the they, idea. They probably get elected by a, la- a large uh, group of people, some of whom are, are black. Yeah, no, I, it's just an, yeah, it's just this it, again. As as I think Steve talks about, we are just trying to kick the door open, and and then this is in this in this in the law, you know, a little bit at a time, moving forward, incremental steps to move forward to establishing a proper, appropriate parameter for these for these uh, beings to to exist and and have these rights. It's it's is a fascinating documentary for the fact that it is a wonderfully made congratulations on that but also just it opens up the door and the ideas and these things become sort of part of our zeitgeist in a way that more and more we hear about it the more used to it we are the more comfortable we are with it and that's part of again your film is one of those incremental steps as well well we're hoping so and um you know for us it was a fascinating journey and you know in the the way that we show our film i mean we we kind of show what's happening, and we follow um, Steve, you know, and follow him through the good and the bad, and kind of, you know, hopefully the audience can make up their own mind on what they think of it. Um, Think of extending rights and um, giving further protections of this kind. But, um, you know, I guess my most satisfying aspect has been on this, you know, journey of showing the film in theaters around the country. So many people have come up to me who have said, you know, they really didn't have any interest in animals before this, but, um, you know, it's really made them change the way they think. And, you know, that's really what I want to do. So if people want to find out more about your film, they can go to unlockingthecagethefilm.com. If they are interested in uh, this subject, particularly with what the Non-Human Rights Project is doing. There is a website. Just, yeah, go to the nonhumanrightsproject.org. No, yeah, yeah. Non-Human Rights Project. Yeah, uh, they can go to nonhumanrightsproject.org. Yeah, and, uh, and as well, there are other ways to get involved, other ways to sort of push this, uh, this issue forward, but one of which is to go see Unlocking the Cage. And uh, is, it, is it done with its theatrical run, or are we still oh. out of it? No, it's continuing through theaters around the United States and Canada, and um, it um, is also playing at festivals. Uh, actually, Michael Moore was one of the people who came up to me and told me that the film really changed his mind, and um, he wanted it at his festival, so it will be there in Travis, Traverse City at the end, end of the month, mm-hmm. um, as well as in festival in theaters around the country. And then probably um, early next year, the film will be on HBO. Very good. It yes, currently it is screening in um, it, well North Carolina, New York, New Hampshire, Vermont. It's on its way to all these different places, and obviously you can go to unlockingthecagethefilm.com to find out more about where it is screening. I am want to thank both of you so very much for the film, but also um, in terms of just having an opportunity to talk to the two of you about this and. Your work. I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, as filmmakers, what continues to excite you and, and, and drive you to continue to do the work that you do? I'll start with you, D.A. What, what is it? What, what do you look for when you're looking in, into a project and you wanna, you're excited about it? What are you looking for? Well, I guess I'm looking for a person who, either out of curiosity or some sort of uh, a developed passion, 
uh, it's trying to do something that nobody's done before or that's very hard to do and is, de- and is determined not to give up and uh, uh, is willing to have people watch him do it, which is all we do really is we're watchers. We don't <laughs> try to, uh, you know, maintain a, uh, a, a defense or, a, or, or to try to promote uh, something because we think it's good. Uh, we may want to do the film because we think it's good, but basically uh, the film has to be uh, has to live on its own terms mm-hmm. and has to kind of uh, be a, a, a watching of the person that, that we're after. Mm-hmm. Chris, how about yourself? Um, I think, um, you know, we do them because of our insatiable curiosity mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, for me it's always been very potent to, you know, be dropped into the middle of situations that I would never be able to witness had I not had a camera and um, go through these extraordinary, you know, adventures or times with these people who, in the end, we are quite bonded with because we've gone through this very special time with Mm -hmm. them. But I think what also is something, you know, these films are the history of our time, and I I think that if we can find a subject that hits on something that is just kind of changing in the zeitgeist in some way, you know, and I think we've done it a few times, I I would say Penny's film Monterey Pop does that with kind of the whole music scene in the 60s, and probably when I filmed uh, Startup.com, it was a moment like that um, where the internet was just bursting and we followed it from you know, the the boom bust mm. aspect of it. And I and I think right now with this story with Steve, it's just one of those times, uh, you know, for animals and animal rights where we're just be, we're we're just seeing a change yeah. and Steve is, is pushing it. Well, you identified exactly what I tell people when I tell them about my passion for documentaries and that is I I am in a situation that I would otherwise have no reason to be there except for these films who they put me in places and they and they open doors of an understanding and knowledge and and in ways that I just that I could not have experienced any other way and I'm so grateful again thank you both uh, well, thank you Chris Edgidas and DA Pennebaker two incredible filmmakers, wonderful films, and continue, please continue to do what you do, and I look forward to uh, to your future projects. Thank you again for being on Film School. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.